Sports are back, and now's your chance to save 40%. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash clipcity, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking news stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash clipcity for 40% off on an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today is a special crossover episode. I am joining the guys from the Forum Club, Bill Oram and Anthony Slater, two Lakers reporters, to discuss round four of Battle LA. We get into 10 different topics. Anthony kind of plays point guard, uh, setting Bill and I up to discuss various things. X factors, key matchups, um, even talk about predictions a little bit. Uh, so if you are interested in learning more about the Clippers Lakers, what has happened during the season, what has happened during the hiatus, what has happened in Orlando, uh, stay tuned. And I think you'll enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the latest uh, preseason, last preseason edition of the Forum Club. This is not Bill Orem you're hearing. Uh, I've taken over host duties for a week. This is Anthony Slater um, and Jovan Buha's with us because we not only have a potential Clippers-Lakers-West Finals to talk about, we actually have a TNT Thursday night season opener to talk about. You guys pumped? You know, it's it's crazy because like this is such a, such a big matchup that you know, over the course of the season, these Lakers Clippers games carried so much weight every single time that we got them. You know, there was the the season opener, Christmas, the game, uh, the same weekend the Lakers played the Bucks, and now the restart. It, all of these games uh, between these two teams, obviously, the league recognized the significance of the matchup, recognized that these are two teams that seem to be on a collision course in the West, and they've really given us these matchups in big moments in the season. I am pumped. I think this could be the game that maybe falls a little flat just because it's um, we haven't neither of these teams have played in four months. We don't know who's all going to be available. Obviously, Lou Williams is out. Anthony Davis is going to be questionable after getting poked in the eye in that second scrimmage. So there's a lot of questions around these teams right now, and it's not the matchup necessarily that we will see uh, come the conference finals, assuming we get that far. Um, but it is going to be a very, I think, a good way to return to basketball. I'm with Bill. Uh, I think I'm excited. I'm pumped. But I also just don't know how much we're going to be able to take away from this game, like especially on the Clippers side. They were finally healthy before the hiatus and playing well. You know, they're 10 and 1 this season when healthy. Uh, and then, you know, everything uh, went to crap during um, this kind of two week training camp where, uh, you know, multiple guys had to leave the bubble. There were multiple guys who arrived late. Um, I think it was ended up being six or seven Clippers have been outside the bubble at some point um, during all of this. So, you know, Doc, Doc has been kind of harping on this the last few days of we entered, uh, you know, we were projecting to enter Orlando with our entire 15-man roster, and that has not been the case at all. So the starting lineup has not played a minute together yet. 
Um, you know, Patrick Beverly and, and Montrezl Harrell have not played. Uh, so I, I do think the version of the Clippers you end up seeing is going to be compromised. We still don't know if Pat or Trez is going to be playing and, and available on Thursday. So um, I, I'm excited, uh, but I definitely think it's going to be a different look than what we would see in the conference finals. To me, the most important number isn't the amount of missing pieces. It's how many people watch. I feel like this is huge for the NBA. They need kind of like a um, nice jumping off point, an introduction to the world. Hey, this is what the bubble is. This is the type of basketball you can expect. Did you guys watch uh, It was Pelicans uh, Bucks yesterday? It was like really good game, high level. Like I just... Whoever is on the court, I think they need to like it needs to feel like a really like intense environment game. Just kind of introduce people to the fact that, um, you know, it is going to be good basketball. But I have 10. I'm going to play host little game show style host. Um, I have 10 topics, kind of a little bit cross team. And I kind of wanted to shoot it out to you guys. You kind of started to answer where we were going with the first one. But I, you either one of you can start. What have we learned about both teams uh, in the scrimmage games? Where are we? You know, Jovan, like you said, the, Cl- the Clippers are in a lot more tenuous roster situation right now. And how serious do we think either side is going to take the seeding games? I guess I can start with that. What was the first piece of that, Slater? What did we learn? Like, just where are mm, we, you know, like yeah. going into this? Yeah, so, I mean, for the Lakers, uh, you know, I think I think what we learned was, you know, and again, it's hard to say because Anthony Davis played a total of, what, 25 minutes in, in, in two games? Yeah, 15 and 10, zero. LeBron played, you know, 20 minutes in the second game and 15 in the first, I think. So, I mean, really was, or 25, I guess, in the second game. So, I mean, it's a small sample size. I, I think, you know, I think the thing I took away from those seeding games, especially when their top players were playing, was how much they looked like the Lakers, how much they looked like they did in March. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say in, um, in in you know essentially preseason games against Dallas and Washington that you know they are at the same level they were against the Bucks and Clippers but LeBron looked really good he was um, you know he was he was engaged physically he looked he looked you know obviously very spry he was you know out there dunking on guys and you know the you know throwing lobs and everybody looked physically um, to be up to speed that their timing looked pretty good. Um, you know, so I think the Lakers are going to kind of hit the ground running in this thing. And unlike the Clippers, like Jovan was talking about their their health and just sort of in and out issues, the Lakers only had one guy who was late to arrive. That was Markeith Morris. And they're only without one guy, and that's Rajon Rondo. And um, I think not having Rondo, and also Avery Bradley, of course, but in terms of the roster that they have, they're pretty well intact right now and pretty healthy. Um, I think we can obviously debate, you know, what we learned about J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters, but they both had their moments in the seeding games. Right now, the Lakers, to me, just look, they look healthy, they look um, they look ready, and, they, and they're deep. Clippers, it has not been... Uh quite a smooth road <laughs> no it, it has not um so y- you have pat beverly montrez harrell and landry shamit have yet to play uh avitza zubats and marcus morris arrived late and then pat trez and lou uh can't forget lou and his infamous uh so how many of them are in quarantine right now obviously lou williams is in an extended quarantine but who uh, is are, are the other pieces in orlando just in quarantine lou and pat are in quarantine and trez is arriving today so they those you know Lou's going to miss the Laker game. Pat and Trez, it's unclear where they kind of are in the in the four day quarantine. And I, I think Doc said he thinks Pat's a maybe. My guess is Pat is going to play in the Laker game. If Trez is arriving today, uh, he would you know theoretically not be able to play on, on Thursday. So um, I am kind of expecting 
Trez and Lou to be missing that game. And, and if that's the case, uh, you know, just looking at the numbers in, in the you know regular season matchups, like those two guys were big. Uh, you know, the bench was huge in, in the two games that the Clippers ended up winning. And I think missing those guys against the Lakers really changes that dynamic where the Clippers no longer have a giant, you know, bench advantage. Um, but looking at the three scrimmages, uh, really the, the only concerning thing somewhat was Kawhi Leonard's play. He, you know, it, the shot was flat. He didn't have his legs. Um, he, he ended up shooting, I think, 27% over the first three games. So that was pretty bad. But aside from that, Paul George looks great. He said he's 100% healthy now. Um, you know, I, I thought he he had a lot of up and down moments during the season. Um, you know, despite that, he was still averaging 21, 6 and 4. But um, you know, he, he talked about recently how he didn't have full confidence in his shoulders. He felt insecure. He wasn't sure when he was going to be back to 100%. So he just finished shoulder rehab a few weeks ago and is looking really, really good kind of like that OKC version we saw last year who finished third in MVP voting. Uh, and then aside from that, Joakim Noah's look good. Uh, Marcus Morris and, and Reggie Jackson have kind of found their roles, you know, within the Clippers offense and defense. So I think, you know, they went two and one in scrimmage play. Um, you don't really want to read too much into the results, but for how shorthanded they were and, and how much they were leaning on guys who are essentially their third string unit uh, for the Clippers to to win those games, they were pretty competitive um, I think they are walking away right now in courage with how they played in the scrimmages. So the Lakers are are five and a half up uh, in the West, which at this point just th- we can pretty much lock them into the one seed. The Clippers are obviously in a more unsettled position. They're 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 pretty comfortable in two, but I think only about two games up on Denver or so, and only like three up on uh, the Jazz, who I believe are fourth. Um, so they have a lot more to play for. Um, seating positional wise, and maybe that is why I was a, I was a little surprised. I saw Kawhi Leonard's scrimmage minutes and Paul George's. I think the last two games they went like twenty five and then thirty minutes basically um, in the, in the final one. Whereas the Lakers sat LeBron and Davis and Kuzma in the last one and barely played them uh, in in the previous ones. And they're already even talking about Davis not playing Thursday. Which come on Lakers, I mean, put them on the floor, but. Um, where how what do you, I would say this what's second topic what is the ideal seeding round outcome do you think for either side and it, either one of you can take it but um like because it is a kind of a weird little eight game uh lead up to these playoffs I think the ideal seeding for the Clippers is definitely the two seed uh they want to position themselves opposite the Lakers so you know two two or three isn't the same as it would have been if home court advantage were still in play uh, but I do think log- logically that if you just look at it, like whichever team ends up being the seven seed, you'd rather play that team, whether it's Dallas staying at seven or one of the teams above them dropping than the six seed. Like it's just probably going to be an easier matchup. I think momentum is going to come into play in the bubble. And whether it's, again, Dallas staying down at seven or a team dropping, you probably want to play the easier team in round one. In the second round, it might not matter as much. Um, but uh, again, you know, if you're put is go ahead. Would you say the Clippers big thing is like just not getting to the four or five? Like how much do you think they're like, we don't want any part of the Lakers round two. We want that to be a West finals matchup or are they, I mean, knowing the personalities of the team, are they like, whatever, we don't care. It's more, I think the, the, for the players, it's probably more whatever we don't care for the coaching and in front office side, it, it's more like, let's just stay in the two, three. Uh, but, but this team's super confident. Like if you ask the Clippers, they think they're the best team in the league. 
they think they just haven't, you know, they haven't been healthy this season. They, they've had uh, a lot, you know, some turnover with, with adding in Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson and now Joakim Noah. And like they, they've readjusted the rotation a bunch of times. But if you ask the Clippers, like to them, they think they're clearly the best team in the league. They think they have the, the best star duo. They think they have the best depth. And they think, you know, whether it's in the four or five or wherever, like when they play the Lakers, they expect to win that series. You know, they expect to be in the finals and beat whoever comes out of the East. So, um, f- you know, for, for them, this team is very confident. Um, you, you know, like they're, they're not shy about how good they think they are. Um, and, and some of the numbers support that w- with how good they've been when healthy, but they just haven't been healthy this season. There's no guarantee moving forward that they're going to be. So, when it comes down to it, whoever, you know, whatever guys are available, they're going to have to win with those guys. And, um, you know, that is where I think the questions come into play because you just don't know with this team. They've been so up and down all season with, with the health that um, you're looking at the bubble like you just can't really be confident in them staying healthy for three months. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have a question or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Clippers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Clippers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Yeah, Lakers are interesting because um, they can't really play themselves into a different seed like the Clippers can. You know, they like I said, they're pretty much just sitting at one. But they're like kind of curious spectators because really the story of the seeding games is probably going to be the chase for eighth, right? That's kind of what we... You know, pure basketball people are probably most interested. You know, it, can Zion come back and jolt the Pelicans up? Can Damian Lillard and, like, you know, that kind of new infused Blazers with Nurkic and Zach Collins, like, can they rise? Will Memphis kind of keep its momentum and keep that eight seed? And, like, so the Lakers are sitting there with a bunch of options at eight. And then they're also, I think, like, four or five. Like, who lands in that four or five is interesting. I don't really like Houston as a second round matchup for them, I think they would prefer Houston to be sitting in the three six or the two seven. Beyond just staying healthy in the seeding games and looking good, how do you think we talked about it a little on the eight seed in a past podcast, but how do you think the exact path they want laid out for them in the seeding games? I mean, I think I think you're right. I, I think Houston is problematic. Um you know, and listen, I just just to be clear, the Lakers would say, you know, you you wouldn't you Obviously, they can't control their own destiny, like you said, but they would take whatever path they can get, right? I mean, if it's Houston, so be it. If it's Portland in the first round, so be it. I think it's easier to say what the worst path is for them, and I think that's Portland-Houston Clippers. Um, You know, really anything other than that is going to be uh, preferable. I think, you know, one of those young teams, Memphis-New Orleans, is a matchup that, you know, would would be good for the Lakers in the sense that they can kind of continue to kind of build um, through the first round. Um, 
obviously those are both good teams. They're in the mix for the playoffs for a reason, but I don't think anyone sees them as a team that would actually uh, take the, the Lakers to the brink for six, seven games, whereas a Portland, I think, really legitimately could. And then in the second round, there's just a host of teams that you'd rather see. You know, Utah comes to mind. They're a little shorthanded. Dallas is still young. Um, uh, Denver, even, uh, a team that just doesn't get enough respect for, for one reason or another, uh, but has obviously uh, come into the bubble, obviously missing a lot of guys, still getting up to speed, kind of like the Clippers. Um, you know, I think you'd rather see any of those teams than Houston. So if you could somehow go, you know, Memphis, Utah, before you get to the Clippers yeah. in the second round, I mean, you'd be you'd be feeling pretty darn good about your ability to be healthy come the Western Conference Finals, you know, uh, get through that in maybe a dozen games total, maybe you know, less than a dozen games, as opposed to um, really getting pushed by teams like Port- veteran teams, veteran teams that have been to the conference finals like Portland and Houston. Yeah, I've wrote down on here for my ideal Lakers path from their perspective, Memphis kind of just backing in because like the Pelicans and Blazers don't look that good. Um, and, you know, Memphis has a big lead going into it. And then Jazz OKC is the 4-5 to me. Yeah. You know, you just get the winner of Jazz OKC, you're probably going to cruise. Um, but I want to flip it back to the matchup. Lakers Clippers played three times this season, opening night, Christmas, and then right before the season stopped. Clippers won the first two. Lakers won the third one, the last one that uh, that we remember. You guys take it from here, but what what I have as the third question, what was the biggest stuff you learned from the previous matchups? To me, it's um, the importance of uh, of of the other guys. Of you know, I think I think the Lakers, the Clippers, superstars ultimately kind of neutralize each other a little bit. Um, you, you know, I think the biggest thing from the opener was the Lakers not having a good option to defend Kawhi Leonard. And that, in that game, Jovan, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, Paul George didn't play in the opener, right? Yeah, he, he missed he was the still, opener. He was, yeah, yeah, right. And so, but, but the Clippers still kind of hammered the Lakers because the Lakers didn't have an answer for Kawhi. They didn't have anybody that they could put on him defensively, uh, especially if you go back, I think it was in the second quarter, Kawhi just cooked against KCP. Well, in a conference finals matchup, KCP is arguably going to be the Lakers' best option on Kawhi, and it's not a good matchup. So I think I think defending Kawhi Leonard and and then you add in Paul George is going to be a huge issue for the Lakers. Um, obviously, LeBron is going to take some of those defensive assignments more in the postseason than he did on October 18th or whatever it was. This is part of why the Lakers brought in Markeith Morris, um, just to have a little size on the perimeter. Um, but you know, those matchups really concern me. I'm not sure that the Lakers have great answers. And then, and then the Clippers just keep coming at you off the bench with guys, you know, Montrez Harrell, uh, Lou Williams, uh, Marcus Morris. I mean, kind of the guys that they have around them, I think really create a lot of problems for the Lakers, Patrick Beverly, the way they defended LeBron early on. Um, it, it just, it's, it's interesting to see if all those things that work for the Clippers in the regular season are going to work, are going to work for the Lakers because, you know, for the most part, those first two games between the Lakers and Clippers, I thought the Clippers were the better team and it wasn't particularly close. And but the narrative has flipped so strongly because the Lakers and because recency bias is so big in the minds of fans and analysts like us, you know, oh, it's it's a really even matchup. But I don't think after those first two games between the Lakers and Clippers, anybody was saying it was that even. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Bill. Um, you know, I, I think in a macro sense, uh both, I mean, this is no surprise, but both star tandems present a lot of issues for the other. Like for you know, on the Clippers side, I don't think the Lakers have great matchups um, against Kawhi and PG. Like Kawhi, Kawhi to me has been the best of the four stars. You know, basically averaging thirty-one, seven, and three 
54% shooting, um, you know, and, and clearly I, I thought was the best player in the first two matchups, struggled a little bit in that third one. Uh, but, you know, aside from, I think, Kawhi kind of shining through the most, um, you know, on the other end, like LeBron w- was kind of hampered the first couple matchups, uh, didn't really look like himself. Uh, and then I thought in that third one, really just dominated the Clippers in the pick and roll. They, they didn't have a great answer for him, especially when he was calling uh, and kind of isolating Lou Williams and, and bringing him into the action. Uh, and then AD, uh, it, it's really been kind of where does AD get the ball? Because when he gets the ball in the restricted area, he's shooting 81%. Uh, against the the Clippers when he gets the ball anywhere else he's he's shooting under 40 percent so uh, I think it's really going to come down to you know uh, on some level the superstar performances like can the Lakers figure out a way to slow down Kawhi Uh, PG really found himself in that third matchup Um, you know on on Christmas Day he got blocked four times at the rim by Anthony Davis JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard in that third matchup, I felt he found a new confidence at, at taking it at, at AD, taking it at JaVale, you know, getting those guys in foul trouble and really finding ways to either finish or, or draw fouls at the rim. Uh, whereas, you know, the Lakers found the LeBron AD pick and roll, which I thought was a really nice weapon for them. And um, the Clippers didn't really have a great answer for it. Uh, you know, Montrezl Harrell kind of got exposed. Uh, switching on to LeBron and, um, you know, AD got some lobs and stuff. So I really think it's going to be just figuring out how to defend and, and try to limit those guys. Uh, beyond that, my two questions are um, the Lakers have actually done a pretty good job against Lou Williams. He's only averaging 11 points uh, across the three games, shooting 38% from the floor. So can the Clippers find a way to get Lou going because the Lakers have actually kind of shut him down and, and really neutralized that Lou Trez pick and roll. And then on the other side for the Lakers, who is the third guy? Because we, we, we've seen a different guy step up in each of the three matchups. You know, Kuz! Uh, oh, Kuz! Uh, you know, op- I'm just kidding. Opening night. Well, maybe I'm not kidding. I don't know. I mean, you might be right, but opening night, it was Danny Green. He has that 28-point performance. Might have been his best game of the season offensively. Christmas Day, it's Kuz. He, he goes off. Um, you know, had that like 15 point second quarter, I think. Uh, and, and then, you know, Avery Bradley w- was the guy in the third matchup, which was a nice revenge game for him against the Clippers um, a- after how his time w- with them went. So I-, I just wonder, you know, who's the third guy for the for the Lakers? Can that guy step up consistently over a six or seven game series? Because I, I think without that guy, just looking at how the rest of the team has performed, they haven't really had any consistency offensively from any of the other players. So you know, it's fine if LeBron and AD can drop, you know, 25, 30 on a night, but who else is going to be that consistent source of offense? And if they don't have that, can they beat the Clippers? Because the Clippers, you know, are going to have three, four, five guys putting up 15 plus every night. Um, and I just don't know if the Lakers can match that. So my fourth question on here, um, you guys kind of hit a little bit on it. It was going to be like, what's the largest advantage each side has against the other? So since you guys have so brilliantly broken that down, I got to get some takes off. All right. Um, the Lakers, to me, the, the, the biggest Clippers advantage, what they do to the Lakers that a lot of other teams can't, they force LeBron to individually defend. Um, and that was what... It was so. I mean, the Warriors obviously presented a ton of problems for for those LeBron's Cavaliers teams. Um, but when when they got Durant, 
like that was such it it just exposed LeBron in the finals defensively because remember how much particularly for those Cleveland teams he just had to run the offense I mean he just controlled the game he liked to put all of his energy into the offensive side just quarterbacking everything and then suddenly with Kevin Durant on the floor it was like he's got to do that and try to like guard KD he, it was so bad they tried to put Richard Jefferson on Kevin Durant and like some of these other Jay Crowder at one point J.R. Smith even um, with the Clippers because they have Paul George and Kawhi LeBron Kelly really can't hide into individually defensively he's gonna have to guard one of those two and you know while doing that he's trying to be quarterback on the other side like that is just something that other teams can't do which is throw two superstar wings um and then when I flip it to the other side the reason what in my mind might tilt it the other way just the Lakers in the matchup we're in a superstar league the NBA is just like defined by its top guys and to me yes there's four superstars in this matchup but I would say three of them are top five players, uh, LeBron, Kawhi, and Anthony Davis. And then I think there is like a dot, dot, dot all the way down to like, I don't know, 18th best player in the league. I don't, maybe I'm more down on Paul George than most, but I just think there. It, the question to me is, is the gap between three and four uh, in this matchup players wise, Davis to George, was that big enough to make up for what is a depth advantage for the Clippers? What do you guys think? You know, I, I'm probably a little higher on Paul George than you are, but I also think, you know, I think, I think, I think matchup wise, it might end up being more problematic. The Lakers could probably figure out a way to collectively neutralize Kawhi, but Pete, but even having another top 20 guy, a guy who can go off a guy who can get 40, um, and, and plays both and plays both ways the way Paul George does, I think is is where that you get you get that um, that 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 Clippers advantage uh, on the on the superstar front just because they are both such they are such unique matchups. I mean, the, the Lakers probably almost have to throw LeBron at at Paul George because Paul George is just enough of a threat where you ha- where that's probably your best option. I don't know. I I I think that I think that the superstar matchup is a little more even than 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 you're giving it credit for. But also, I mean, l- listen. PG hasn't been healthy this year and he's now, you know, basically a year out from his last play- playoff run. Um, I think we have to see what he looks like. Yeah. I want to flip this to Jovan after this, but like Paul George to me, so hit and miss, you know, he seems like he's a consistent player, but he really hasn't been in his career where, you know, Jovan mentioned he was like basically third in MVP because he had that unbelievable season for the Thunder. But by the end of it, I know it was the shoulders, but he was fading. He was like bad in the playoffs. To me, there's, there's a lot more unknown on George than the other. The other three, to me, are locked in. If they're healthy, they're just going to be awesome. They're going to be top five players. Paul George could be in that range, but Paul George could also be like, I don't know, the 35th best player in the playoffs because that's probably what he was last season. Where are you at on him right now, Jovan? I think you bring up a good point. I, I think if you're going off of this season, he's closer to the 18th best guy. Um Whereas, you know, the season before, even though he finished third in MVP voting, I think most people would have had him in that like eight to 12 range, you know, somewhere in there. Um, I, I'm a, I agree with Bill. I, I'm a little bit higher on him. I think he, he is probably somewhere in the 10 to 15 range um, w- with the upside of being like number seven or number eight at his apex. Uh, I, I just think you, you don't know when you're going to get that apex. Um, and he has... Um, you know, Laker fans have been quick to point this out uh, on Twitter. He has flip-flopped with his shoulders because like the beginning of the season, he said he had new shoulders and that was kind of the narrative of, you know, I'm back, I'm 100%. And then coming out of the bubble or, you know, coming into the bubble out of hiatus, 
he was now saying, well, I actually wasn't 100%. You know, I didn't have confidence in my shoulders. He says some strange things. Even back to the Oklahoma City days, he's very, like, promiscuous. Like, it's I don't even know what the right... Ambiguous with, like, some of his wording on his injuries. And uh, sometimes it'll, like, be very revealing. Sometimes he's hiding. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, so it's difficult to read. I'll say in the scrimmages, which, again, they didn't... I mean, they played Orlando, Washington, and Sacramento. So pretty much the, the bottom feeders of the bubble... Um, he did look great. And, and, you know, I I think one thing Paul George doesn't get enough credit for is being an elite high volume three point shooter. And really, if you look at his numbers, um, you know, there's obviously Steph and Clay are are at the top, but after that, he's pretty much as good of any guy taking seven, eight threes a game, um, you know, has been around 39, 40% the last like two, three years. So I, I do think, you know, that is an element of his game that, um, kind of gets overlooked and I think adds more value than he's maybe given credit for. But as far as this matchup, I think even if he is the 18th best player, again, the Lakers just don't really have a great matchup for him. Like I don't like KCP or Danny Green or even LeBron trying to defend him. And I think with so much focus going on to Kawhi, that's going to let Paul George do his thing coming off pin downs and, and weak side screens and his curls and all the stuff he likes to do off the ball. So I, I do think, um, you know, even if he isn't as good as he was last season or in previous seasons in this particular matchup, he does have that potential to be kind of his apex version um, because I, I just don't love the Lakers matchups against him defensively. Who is the, f- we know the top four best players in this matchup. Who's the fifth best player? This is probably a Clippers question, would be my guess. <laughs> but who, like, who's the fifth best player, you guys think? It depends who you ask, because I, I think conventional wisdom would probably say Lou Williams or Montrez Harrell. I think if you ask people around the Clippers and who follow the team closely, they would say Pat Beverly's their third best player and, and third most important. Um, but, but for this matchup specifically, I think looking at what happened over the three games, I think it's Montrez Harrell. Um, you know, he he was averaging over 18 points a game, uh, really was leading the the bench unit, which if you look at the plus minuses over the three games, the, the Lakers starters have actually outplayed the Clippers starters where, where the Lakers have really lost the, the minutes has been the bench. And, you know, that's been Lou and, and Trez and Jermichael and uh, Pat's played with that unit a bit. So I, I think, look, I mean, it's tough to say with the Clippers that they have a lot of guys, you know, you could probably make the case for four or five guys being their third best player. Like we didn't even talk about Marcus Morris, who was leading the Knicks in scoring for <laughs> half the season. They definitely have the better Morris twin. We know that. Yeah, but I, but he didn't play. I mean, he's another one where he didn't play that well um, in that third matchup. They're still kind of figuring out his role. So it, it's tough to say who the third best is. Um, but I would say based on at least performance in the season series, I, I would lean towards Trez if I had to pick someone. I wonder when the next Laker is down. You know, if we went down the list of like, let's rank the best players in the series. All right, LeBron, Kawhi, one, two, AD, three, Paul George, four, and whoever you pick Clippers-wise, five. But like, as you go down that ladder, like how far is it till you get to a Laker? And which Laker do you think that is, Bill? You know, it's interesting because, you know, I could make a case maybe for like one of the Lakers centers just because I think that they have the opportunity to to really have a big impact in that series, you know, whether it's Dwight or JaVale. Um, but, you know, the guy who I kind of think almost needs to be the Lakers' third best player is probably Danny Green, right? Like, defensively, they need him to be a huge a huge factor. They need him to be reliably making shots like he was last year uh, in the in the postseason for the, for the Raptors, or at least in the finals. 
Um, I mean, I know he's a little bit of an unsung under the radar guy sometimes because his game is so is so simple and is not flashy. But to me, that's a guy who the Lakers need to be, you know, 15 points and and playing some lockdown defense. But, uh, one but, of those wings, yeah. One yeah, of those I mean, I mean, wings. because they the other if they're not if they if they aren't getting that defense from from Danny Green um, on on one of those wings on ball defense, which is not he's not the on ball defender. Obviously, Avery Bradley is different kind of defender. But if he can if he can kind of be the best version of himself, I think he's their third best player. You know, Danny Green kind of has to do for LeBron what he's done for Kawhi and Kawhi's past title runs, which is like you know really guard. For a bulk of the game. Now, Kawhi might take the best matchup late in the game, but like Danny Green's going to just kind of shoulder a bulk of it. And he is kind of the lost player for the Lakers when we talk about matchups or best players or this or that. But um, I'm moving on to question six, and, you know, maybe Danny Green's the answer to this. Uh, who do you guys think is like kind of the X factor, the swing factor in this matchup, maybe in kind of that lower tier part of the depth? I mean, just from the Lakers standpoint, I think I'm on team Kyle Kuzma as the swing player because if he is— Do you Laker, consider me part of that team, Bill? Am I part of that team? I do consider you part of that team because your belief that he is so bad means that if, <laughs> if, if, oh he, is, if he is— if, if he is Means that if he is good, he will dramatically swing your expectations. So yeah, I think I think you are on the team that he is a significant swing player. But if he is able to be that third guy, or if he comes out in and averages sixteen to eighteen points in that series, that completely changes what the Lakers look like offensively. And and listen, he's talked about wanting to be more locked in and be a better defender. On paper, he's a guy you should be able to throw at those Clippers wings. And now I would expect him to be at a pretty big disadvantage in those matchups. But if he really digs in and is able to give the Lakers quality minutes on, let's say, Paul George, that's a big difference. So to me, he's the X factor for the Lakers kind of throughout, especially when matchups get that tough. I'm going to speak on the Lakers side, just looking at it from the Clippers perspective. Like, I think Kyle Kuzma fits the bill of like the guy who can be that third reliable offensive option. And I think with the Clippers focusing so much on trying to stop LeBron and AD, Kuzma is a guy who can kind of you know, slip through the cracks and, and get some looks. And, you know, I feel like he has been able to get some good looks in the series. It just was only really the Christmas Day game where he ended up standing out. From the Clippers side, I think there's multiple ways you can look at it. Like, you know, is Lou going to continue to struggle? Can he close games? Um, you know, how is Trez going to look in an actual like playoff format where, you know, play is more physical and, and you know, people pack the paint a little bit more? Uh, but for me, I'm, I'm going to take it in a different direction. I, I think Jermichael Green is the X factor for the Clippers because Doc went to Jermichael last postseason against the Warriors. Uh, in, in game four, he made the adjustment of benching Avica Zubats, starting Jermichael Green. And the Clippers fared pretty well with Jermichael at the five. Um, and he, he was defending Kevin Durant. Of course, KD was going off because he's KD, but... He probably did the best job overall on KD, other than the the, the one uh, Pat Beverly game. Um, but he, I think, he provided um, just a, a different wrinkle for the Clippers' offense, where the Warriors had to go from defending two paint-bound centers in, in Zoo and Trez to actually having to step out and you know contest Jermichael at the three-point line. And Doc has been teasing that adjustment all season. You know, going back to training camp in the preseason, he was talking about how much he wants to play Jermichael at the five, how much he loves those lineups. We have not really seen it, uh, but during the hiatus, when we spoke to Doc, he said that the one adjustment he wished he had made more during the regular season was going to Jermichael at the five. 
and playing smaller units with, with five out offenses. So um, we've seen that in scrimmaging. Jermichael has played exclusively at the five. Uh, part of that's been because the Clippers have been shorthanded. But I, I think looking at this matchup, the Clippers, you know, similar to the way they kind of use Pat Patterson in the first two matchups, um, you know, where he was basically an end of the, the bench guy who started uh, against the Lakers for the AD matchup. Um, I think they're going to use Jermichael in a similar way where He's someone who, you know, it has a strong base, you know, 6'9", 240. They think that he can get into 80s legs, you know, battle him on the block. And then on the other side, kind of prevent a uh, just some stretch to the offense. Because one thing I think has stood out over, across the three games is the Lakers size really bothers the Clippers on the interior. You know, the Lakers are averaging eight blocks a game uh, against the Clippers over the three matchups. They've really controlled the pain at times. And I think for the Clippers, it's going to be all about stretching the Lakers out, negating their size, bringing AD out on the perimeter, bringing JaVale and Dwight out on the perimeter. And if Jermichael can hit threes at a consistent rate, which he's been inconsistent this season, I think that's an X factor that can really swing the Clippers offense uh, because I don't think they've performed well offensively if you actually look at the numbers. So I do think that could be the type of thing that potentially swings this matchup. Yeah, I have I have Lou Williams written on his mind uh, because he I think of it two ways and it's uh, I guess the different sides of the ball but um you know every Bradley being out makes the Lakers vulnerable to scoring guards uh that's why I think Lillard's a concern potentially in the first round it's why like a Harden Westbrook matchup in the second round could be concerning without Bradley and then even like we you know Bill we watched that uh Mavericks Lakers scrimmage opener Donch just killed him didn't he um, and it, so that's like, what well, you know, that's a concern with Lou Williams. You're not, you don't have Bradley. You guys tell me, but I assume Bradley was on Lou Williams a decent amount in those previous matchups. And that's just not there anymore. Yeah. Um, but I know in the Lakers win, I watched it. Um, they targeted Lou Williams with LeBron was just hunting him when, when Lou Williams and LeBron were on the floor together. And like, you know, Yovan mentioned as a, him as a, concern in a potential closing lineup to me just how Lou Williams survives defensively and potentially thrives offensively could really swing this uh I say series we'll see if it actually becomes a series this is something I've been talking about since the preseason um I you know and it became a narrative because of how much everyone dissects these Lakers Clippers matchups but it had actually been happening to the Clippers right before the all-star break where they had um, you know, a, a couple games, one in Philly and one in Boston, where those two teams really hunted Lou Williams. Um, you know, the Celtics basically did exactly what the Lakers did just with Jason Tatum handling the ball. And the Clippers always try to hide Lou on the, the worst offensive player. Um, in that case, it was Marcus Smart. But w- when you drag him into actions, he really can't do anything. Like he either switches onto the ball handler, which you don't want, or he botches the recovery, which which you saw in that Lakers game. Avery Bradley gets an open three. KCP gets a three. He gets he also gets a drive. Like they were really targeting Lou Williams. So, in my estimation, from what I've seen this season with, with him defensively, like I think you you have to bench him. But then to your point, like he does provide offensive value. I, I think he could have even more offensive value now without Avery. So you know, can you replicate that offense from someone else? You know, if you're going with a Pat Beverly or a Landry Shamit or a Reggie Jackson or, or whoever they close with, like, can that guy provide 70 percent of the offense Lou does? And I don't know that answer, but I do know he's been a, I mean, he's always been a liability. That, that's why he comes off the bench. That's why he's a six man. But, you know, he's 33 now. His leg, you know, he's lost some speed. He's lost some athleticism. 
and he doesn't really try defensively. Like if you ask Lou Williams, he will admit that. So I think it, it is, I think the Clippers are going to be fine in the first and second rounds. I, I think they are just good enough to beat whoever's in front of them. But against the Lakers, you know, if they make the finals and, and are playing the Bucks or Celtics or whoever, they are going to probably have to bench Lou Williams. And, and that's not a conversation I think Doc Rivers is going to love having uh, with, with Lou because of how important he's been the last couple of years. But um, I think it's an adjustment they're going to have to make at some point. Yeah, that's 2020 playoff basketball. I mean, just guys just start getting targeted as the playoffs go deeper. And, and it's why rotations shorten. You know, I've seen it for years with the Warriors. You know, they're playing 11 men in the first round, and by, like, finals, it's like they're trying to keep it to seven. Oh, can they get Jonas Yurebko out there for four minutes? Oh, no, he's just going to get killed targeted-wise. But um, next question, very near and dear to my heart. Um, I, back in the day, covered the Thunder, as me and Bill have talked about on this podcast. Is this a Dion Waiters question? Well, it's not just a Dion Waiters question. Yes, he is he is 50% of the question. But, Bill, there's a another former Thunder uh, player in this matchup who was originally playing the Dion Waiters role before he left, uh, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson was – he had like a 35-point playoff game in Memphis in a must-win. He was like crying on the court afterwards. It was the Reggie Jackson game. He saved them in a hugely important moment. But then, the, going into the next season, he basically demanded out because he was still the sixth man. And he had seen James Harden just go from sixth man to superstar in Houston out of the Thunders program. And he wanted that. And he basically forced his way out uh, to Detroit. Didn't work. Got an $80 million contract. Ended up being an overpay. Now he has kind of toiled down to minimum guy laid on the bench for the Clippers. And then you flip that. The guy who came in to replace Reggie Jackson was Deion Waiters. He became the next version of that for the Thunder. He had some nice playoff moments for the Thunder, too. Gets the big contract in Miami. Flames out of Miami. And now he's sitting really in the Reggie Jackson role for the Lakers, almost. Which of those swing secondary playmakers do you guys like more in this matchup? Well, Slater, you might call me a homer for this, but what the hell? I've been only at home for the last four months, so why not? Um, I think it's Deion Waiters. I know that... He is a problematic figure, and I think if I had been the Lakers, I would have rather had Reggie Jackson in March, but I think that Deion Waiters is going to be motivated. I think he is, you know, has is obviously recognizes the opportunity he has playing uh, with LeBron on this on this platform. The, the Rajon Rondo injury, I think, really opens up a role for him, particularly in the early rounds. Um, I think he's looked pretty good in the scrimmages. Um, obviously, he didn't shoot it great in the last game, but he's hit some timely shots. I think you know his body looks pretty good. I think he looks trim. I think Deion Waiters is going to have the opportunity to have the bigger role, and I will give him the benefit of the doubt that he will make the most of it and have a big impact for the Lakers um, and help them get to at least get to that level against the uh, to get to the Clippers. By which time they'll have Rajon Rondo back, and we'll have to wait and see whether or not. Waiters has played himself uh, has has played himself uh, into a role where he jumps Rondo. Where's Reggie Jackson at right now in this Clippers rotation? Well, we we have our first disagreement on this podcast. Um, I'm so we, we need more. <laughs> yeah. We need more. Uh, I, I'm like going to lean Reggie. Um, you know, he has been somewhat of a revelation for the Clippers in that um, he's played better than anybody expected. Like, uh, you know, I was very skeptical of the signing. I was a little critical of it when they added him just because I felt 
you know, they just added Marcus Morris. And how many shoot first guys do you want uh, on this team? I mean, you, you have Kawhi, PG, Lou, Trez. You add in Marcus Morris. And now you add in Reggie Jackson, who is much, you know, more of a shot creating point guard than a playmaker. Uh, but, but he's bought into the playmaking role. And I think an underrated part of it is that he's best friends with Paul George. Uh, he stayed at his second house in L.A. during quarantine to, to get shots up. And I think that relationship with PG has really helped Reggie swallow his pride because this is a guy who, as Anthony was saying, you know, felt he was better than the, the role he was in in OKC, basically forced his way out to become a starter, became a starter. But none of those teams in Detroit really did anything. I think they only made the playoffs once or twice. And really is kind of shown he, he's probably more of a high level backup. And, you know, that's he, he's an impending free agent. Um, you know, th- this maybe was going to be his final contract if he didn't really have this stretch with the Clippers. But over the nine games in the regular season, um, he, he played really, really well, you know, posted a 67 percent true shooting percentage, which is obviously unsustainable, um, shooting like 45 percent on threes, which just isn't going to happen. But I, I think Really what his role has been leading the second unit offense, taking the burden off of Lou, making Lou more of a guy um, who, who's kind of coming off weak side stuff, um, kind of just alleviating some of the ball handling duties. I, I think Lou at almost 30 minutes a night, kind of always being the point guard, that was a little bit taxing on him physically. So um, I, it's still unclear where he, he fits. Like right now, he probably is the eighth or ninth guy in the rotation. I, I think he's leapfrog Landry Shamit. But when it comes to playoff time, that's surprising, surprising. But I, I, I think it's going to change because w- when it comes to the playoffs, you're going to have Kawhi, PG and Lou and even Pat as your primary ball handlers. I don't know if you need Reggie handling the ball as much. You're probably going to need Landry's three point shooting defensively. They're, they're pretty similar. I'd probably go Landry is a little bit better, but it's close. Um, so I, I don't know, I guess. Bill might be right in that Dion might just have more of a role given the context of the of the Lakers roster um I, I could see the Clippers going to eight guys and if they go to eight guys Reggie probably gets cut from the rotation uh, but I, I, as as far as how he's played thus far um he, he's been really really good it's been surprising um you know he, he's closed some games for them he, he's been routinely playing 20 plus minutes and really no one saw this coming so I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know if he can keep that up in the bubble, but um, I think so far he's been pretty impressive. Question number eight. So this was supposed to be the sparkling West Finals matchup that all happened in the same arena, right? This was going to be awesome for LA, potentially seven games all in Staples Center. Uh, For reporters, how awesome would that have been to just cover a series and not have to hop on a plane? Um, But it has obviously now shifted to Orlando. Does... But part of that, um, I guess, narrative of, of the Staples Center West Finals was that was really going to favor the Lakers, potentially seven home games. Um, so do you guys believe the shift to Orlando and even the shift to this passionless environment that shouldn't favor either side, is does that favor the Clippers in a sense? If this was buy-sell, I would buy. Um, you know, I think, I think some of this stuff does get a little overblown. But I, I think if you are the Clippers – by the time you get to the, the, the conference finals, a couple of things. One, um, you know, your fan base is going to be pretty energized. You know, you're going to have a pretty good showing from your home crowd. There's obviously going to be Laker fans. But, you know, in the postseason, I think it's going to be a little less of a split uh, Lakers-Clippers if they were in Staples Center. So I think that the 
Um, you know, it would be a Lakers home game thing is probably a little overblown uh, if, if we're talking about a conference finals with a trip to the, the finals on the line. But I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the Clipper, the Lakers are very comfortable. They get a ton of support at Clippers games going to a sterile environment where, um, you know, they're going to pipe in fan noise. Uh, seemingly the, you know, the signage is all going to be, you know, kind of the same it's gonna it's i mean it, it what, what the what the lakers get is gonna be the same as what the clippers get uh in their home games there's not gonna be any like any sort of um uh, uh intrusion from from lakers signage making its way into into the bubble so i think you know i think it probably favors the clippers i don't know how much that stuff like that ultimately actually matters but if we assume that if, if we if our if our operating baseline is that it matters somewhat then yes i do think it favors the lakers i agree i i think just Looking at it from the perspective of having a game. I'm sorry. I, I think it favors the Clippers. I misspoke there. Um, I, I think just looking at it from having a game seven on the road versus not having a game seven on the road, right? Like going, you know, I think we are all in agreement here. If this series happens, you know, under normal circumstances, it's probably a six or seven game series. I, I don't see one of these teams winning in five. So, you know, if, if it does get stretched to seven, we, we know the the you know, what is it 80 percent of the time the home team wins game seven or, or something like that so i i just think the odds would have i got a question for you guys because yeah. you guys would both you guys would know this better than i would does it does a clippers game with a lakers home court feel like a road game or in flip side what does a clippers lakers game with a clippers court feel like a road game for the lakers because they're both sitting and still in their same home locker rooms in their same home cities would that feel like a road game i don't know it's just i guess the crowd is the only difference right I mean, there's a there's a lot of differences between a Lakers and Clippers home game in terms of, of presentation and energy. The Clippers do a ton of in-game stuff to hype up the crowd, tons of, you know, you know, shirts being shot into the crowd and things like that. There is none of that, as as everyone on this podcast knows, at, at, a, at a Lakers game. The energy is basically, um, you know, it's the, the, the Lakers are supposed to be the show. So the Lakers have always eschewed kind of the other off-court stuff, you know, no, no DJ. Um, you know, you're not getting any anything fired into the crowd from a cannon. Um, so, I mean, the energy in a, in a game is, is very different. And I think once, um, you know, once the game is played and you're on the on the different bench and the and and the game ops are different, I think it does kind of start to feel like a, 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 a road game. But even in a, a series like if it was at Staples Center, you're sleeping in your own bed, you're with your family, you know, your commute is the same. Now, there are some like there are some. Some, some nuances where you don't get the same parking, um, you don't get as many tickets and things like that. Uh, but it, but I think for the most part from your like, you know, like as a beat writer and Jovan, you can testify to this too, I'm sure. Um, I would often, you know, I, I know it's Lakers Clippers and then I'd get to the game and be like, oh, I have to get a visitor's credential. I didn't even realize it was a, a Clippers home game mm-hmm. because I, you know, I just, I know it's Lakers Clippers. I know it's at Staples Center. I'll figure out who the home team is when I get there. I don't pay attention to it. The way I, I describe it to people when they ask is, Lakers games are more kind of like Bill was saying, more of an event, more theatrical. It's more of like a date night vibe, like where you'd you'd want to take someone on, you know, date three or four if if you're trying to impress them. Whereas Clipper games are like take your family out. It's a family affair. You got Chuck the Condor um, doing flips and stuff and you got people firing hot dog cannons and they have a DJ and it's it's just nonstop. Um, you know, stimu- Balmer sti- is the second <laughs> mascot. Over yeah, there. it's just nonstop stimulation and, and you know, just sounds and, and it's a lot to handle. Um, so I, I think that's 
kind of the biggest difference. Maybe that need for nonstop simulation is why Lou Williams had to go get wings. That took a while for the first Lou Williams joke. I'm, I'm proud of both of you. I think we all know we need to be careful with that one. I've already upset the Clippers enough. I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to stay away from that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, w- with the home court, I, again, I, I think it, the game seven matters. But I also think personality wise, um, this Clippers team is a bit of a weird group. And you have this cast of characters that in a lot of ways, whether it's, you know, real or, or fabricated in their minds, it's a lot of, you know, quote unquote underdogs and, and guys that have been looked over. And you have your Pat Beverly's and, and your Montrez Harrell's and Jermichael Green's and, and even Lou Williams to a extent, like guys who were second round picks, undrafted, bounced around team to team. And I, I think this environment of, of kind of, just resetting and, and, you know, having these guys on their own, I, I think almost, I, I mean, I, I don't know the Lakers personalities as well, but I, I think you look at a guy like Pat Beverly, like he's used to playing, you know, he played in the Ukraine for two years by himself, no f- friends or family out there with him. Um, you know, so putting him in a bubble for three months, like isn't really an adjustment for him. And, and he recently talked about that. Like, I, I think the Clippers personality, I mean, you got Kawhi, the, the guy's a recluse. Um, you know, you, you never really see him out doing anything. Um, you know, it doesn't talk much. Like, I, I think this kind of isolation environment also kind of, uh, I think, tips in the Clippers kind of way with, with their personalities and just kind of the makeup of, of the roster and, and the, these guys' interests. Like, the, it's not... I mean, of course, we, you know, we just mentioned Lou and, and what he was doing, but like this is not really a, a, a party heavy team. This is not a team that, um, you know, socializes a lot. Like, I, I think there are a lot of guys on this team that are introverts, like to keep to themselves, don't really do much. So, uh, again, I can't really speak as much to the, the Lakers side of it, but I know from the Clippers side, I, I'm not as worried about how the bubble is going to affect them. Um, as maybe other teams that are are younger or, or more social or, or just have more like variance in the personalities. I think the Clippers are very much a introverted, quiet team. And I, so I think that actually might end up favoring them a little bit or, or at least not hurting them as much as it could hurt other teams. All right. We're getting into the last two questions here. Number nine. It's some, let's let's presume that this is the West Finals matchup and let's assume health for all the players, the all the rotation players. Um, and it's probably going to be a close series, which includes some very close competitive games down the stretch, maybe of big games, of a game five, of a game seven, you know, the type of games where whoever wins that game is probably going to win the series. Um, what, let's say, tie game, five minutes left, season is on the line for both sides. Who is the closing lineup for, for each? And we'll start with the Clippers. Who is their closing lineup against the Lakers? I think the closing lineup in that instance is Montrez Harrell, Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Pat Beverly. Uh, I think they do end up benching Lou Williams. Um, I, I just don't, you know, in, unless someone on the Lakers is having a terrible series and they find a, an adequate hiding spot, I, I just don't think you can hide Lou against LeBron and AD. I think they force you into too many decisions defensively. So uh, if I had to go with a a closing fivesome right now, that would be the group. And they will be opposed with the season on the line by? So it's, um, it's there's four obvious ones. We've talked about this a lot. It's LeBron, AD, KCP, and Danny Green. And then the question becomes, what do you do with that fifth spot? And I think just as a general rule, Slater, you and I have kind of agreed that, um, that Alex Caruso 
is is the most versatile of their options and probably is the guy. But, you know, it's interesting because I don't know if he I feel like you could make a case you need a little more size, you need a little more defensive size. So does Markeith Morris become a, a guy there? I, I you know, it's not a it's not a sexy choice. I'm not sure that I'm um you know with it as 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 the Lakers best um as the Lakers best option, but that's that's somebody in terms of just a matchup that um maybe you need. The other option is is this a series where they go big down the stretch? Do they throw a Dwight Howard out there and try to and try to in, impose their will on the on the inside um and go and go with a really big lineup? I mean, that would be you know, LeBron, LeBron, Dwight, and and AD is a huge lineup to close with, and I don't know that what Jovan's describing as the as the Clippers closing lineup um, can could necessarily handle that. That'd be tough on the boards, but then it would also be interesting for that lineup to have to try to guard a Kawhi, yeah, Paul George. I agree. Unit coming back the other way. It's good. It's it's good, interesting stuff. But don't you like that better than having to go to Markeith Morris? Yes, I do. Uh, I also think Javale doesn't get enough. Um, publicity as like a potential closer i mean i know he kind of he kind of fits the more like startering mold and not closing down the stretch but he's had a really good season he's been great but if you look at where frank vogel has put his trust when he has gone with yeah with a with a with a center down the stretch dwight has gotten more of those minutes yeah for sure okay last one um they these two franchises are in it kind of similar situations as far as the desperation for the right now for the for the ring you have both lebron and you know davis technically is a free agent this offseason and lebron even if he's not a free agent for a few years is just like you know he's obviously back against the wall age-wise he's trying to fight that off as long as possible this season and even next season are just so crucial for them to try to get a ring and really flip it on the clipper side yes they just Got the Paul George Kawhi, um, you know, tandem, but those two are only. Yovan, correct me if I'm wrong. They're both only on two-year deals, like they can opt out after next season. Correct. Um, so, in this weird Orlando bubble, that is kind of a vital season for both. The tenth question is: Who do you think is more desperate as a franchise to get it? Like, who is this more important for to win a title this season? I'll take this. I, I think it's the Clippers. Um, it, it is close because you know you you have the storyline of lebron chasing his fourth ring and and you know ad is an impending free agent and there's been some breadcrumbs of you know could he potentially leave could he entertain chicago his hometown um but i I do think i mean comparing franchise to franchise like i don't think this is a crazy take you know the clippers are desperate this team has not made a conference finals yet um you know let alone made the finals won a championship um, so just even getting to the conference finals is going to be a really big deal for the Clippers, um, you know, if uh, and or when that happens. Uh, but I, I think, you know, this team, while while the, the Lakers, are, you know, did trade and, and kind of mortgage a lot of their future for Anthony Davis, um, I think, you know, I think we all would probably agree he most likely is re-signing, barring, you know, a catastrophe or something unforeseen happening. Um, with, with the Clippers, I, I think there's. While I would also agree that I, you know, I, I would lean towards both guys resigning. I think there's less certainty, maybe, and in, in kind of like what's going to happen. Everything here. with Kawhi is less, and, and even Paul George. I mean, the, know. you know, we he wanted to go to the Lakers, then he ended up in OKC, then everyone thought he was leaving, then he resigned, and then he ended up leaving the next season. Like, I don't think you can have full confidence in either player being there long term. 
Um, and, and then both guys are also in their late 20s and, and have an injury history where AD at least is, um, I think, what, 26, 27. Like, he's a little bit younger. You might have a little bit more confidence of, of the window with AD. Plus, you're the Lakers. You know, you, you have your 16 titles. You have the Lakers brand. Um, you know, you're always going to be a free agent destination, even if you're not as much as, as the past. You, you still have that history and the legacy. With the Clippers, it's like if they go all in on this and lose in the second round or even lose in the conference finals to the Lakers, like that puts so much pressure on next season and, and, you know, having to win it all or at least make the finals next season to potentially keep both guys. Um, Like I I think that maybe the difference between Kawhi and PG versus AD is Kawhi and PG really are in like the we have to win championships right now mode. Whereas AD is still, kind of, you know, he needs a deep playoff run. You know, if it's a championship, great. If not, like, you know, he, he still has more years. Obviously, LeBron is in win now mode. But I, I do think just looking at the two, there is more pressure on the Clippers side, in my opinion. You know, this team mortgaged their entire draft future through, you know, over half the decade um, for this window right here. And if it does not result in anything more than a conference finals appearance, uh, that to me is obviously a huge disappointment and something that's going to set this franchise back um, you know, into the late 2020s. That is a great case for the Clippers, Bill. Can you make a case for the Lakers? Yeah, I, 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 think, it's, I think it's the Lakers, and I don't even think it's particularly close. LeBron James Ooh, is 30. Ooh, I like it. That's Le- what we need. On LeBron, this. LeBron, is 35 years, LeBron is 35 years old. AD came to, to play with LeBron, to be part of LeBron's machine. Um, you know, there is no guarantee that you can recapture the, the things that have made the Lakers this good this year. Um, you know, LeBron is playing at an MVP level. Uh, AD, I, I think we agree AD is coming back. I think we agree that AD is, you know, it, it's certainly a player you can build around even once LeBron is gone. But everything the Lakers have done has been designed to win with and for LeBron. So saying that the Lakers have less pressure to win now because they have 16 titles is kind of, I think, irrelevant to me. It's it's capturing the moment you have, and and yes, there are there are contract concerns, or you know Kawhi can and, and PG can hold the, hold hold the um, the Clippers hostage a little bit, but I think you know the reality is PG's not leaving. Kawhi is a little bit more of a question mark, but similarly, LeBron's not leaving, and LeBron's only getting older. So when Le- as LeBron gets older and presumably less effective, he has decided that this is where he's going to. B. This is where it is best for his family. This is where he has chosen to spend the late stages of his career. And while that is um, certainly subject to change, it, there's been no indication that he is, um, you know, his, his kids are in school. His, you know, Bronny is in high school. He's a freshman in high school. Um, is LeBron going to be moving his son around like he moved himself around as a, you know, as, as, as a pro? I, I don't think so. I think that LeBron's here. And, and that is both a blessing and potentially a curse. And, you know, AD, absolutely as good as he has been, does have an injury history. I just think the Lakers surrounding core, you don't have um, any any confidence necessarily that these guys are going to be able to recapture the magic, um, you know, in another year, two years. To me, this is, if not a one-shot deal for the Lakers, a two-shot deal with LeBron and AD at this level. And, um, you know, the Clippers, I just think, have a wider runway. Lakers, Clippers, two Los Angeles franchises uh, with monumental moments coming up for for both organizations. And it will all go down in front of, what, 300 virtual fans on a, on a board in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, um, starting Thursday. 
should I'm excited for it, you know, even if it is a strange environment. So I appreciate you two uh, chopping it up about either side, and uh, let's get this going, huh? Chopping it off. <laughs> Chop it off. All right, uh, we will talk next week. <laughs>